God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now we're going to begin by reading from scripture. Now, whatever it says somewhere, we're actually going to be using the gospel of John. So if you want to use your devices, your Bibles, whatever you have handy, whether you're here or online, I want to encourage you to open now to John chapter 11. John 11. The gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you get into Acts of the Apostles and on from there. So we're looking for John chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 to 7 and then jump ahead to verse 17. You probably remember reading some of this last week, but that's okay. We could read these passages over and again the next few weeks and have something different to talk about each time. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And let's jump ahead now to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to consult to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have died, would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, uh, these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews before, uh, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what are we going to do? For this man performs many signs. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I don't know about you, but I never really get tired of hearing that story. It's amazing. It's, it's absolutely amazing story. I want to read one more thing to you. This is from the book, uh, God's Favorite Place on Earth by Frank Viola. Frank says, so there was death in Bethany, but there was also resurrection. In resurrection, God starts all over with a new creation. But resurrection always follows suffering and death. Herein lies an important lesson. If you make a home for the Lord Jesus Christ, hard times will come. Crisis will come. Suffering will come. Even death in some form will come. Suffering is worldwide and neck deep, but for the Christian, suffering has a special purpose. It is the chiseling of God designed to transform you into the image of his son. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus wept, and we can say all sorts of things about why Jesus wept. Now, first thing you want to do is a word study, and you find out that the word wept, as it's translated here, is probably not the most accurate expression because, as in many cases, ancient Greek and, and Hebrew, they have more words in their vocabulary than we do. And it turns out that a better expression of what Jesus did in that moment was that he, he angrily grieved. He, he was frustrated and filled with grief and sorrow. So, so it's a combination of sorrow and, and deep, deep frustration that he's experiencing. So then the question is, well, well, what was he frustrated about? Well, you know, was he frustrated because of Martha's limited faith? Was he frustrated because uh, of, of the lack of depth of understanding of, of the people in general, of, of what God's ultimate plan is and everything? All of that's probably true, but I think the most amazing and, and present reality is, is that he was frustrated with death. He wept because someone he loved died. 
Jesus in his humanity has taken on our form and our limitations, and that includes the grief that we feel when someone dies. He knows that there's eternal life. He, he knows there's resurrection in the future. He knows all of this, but he also knows the sorrow of having someone dear to him die. And the sense of permanence that that encompasses. So I think maybe the Lord Jesus in his fully divine nature is deeply frustrated and grieved that death entered the picture at all because of sin, because of the evil one. But I think he's just as deeply grieved in his human nature with his own sense of loss. You know, I'm, I'm really like, like I remember, you know, there's, Jesus has been portrayed millions of times in different movies and television shows and videos in church and on flannel graphs and everything else. And, and my favorite impression of Jesus was one that I saw where, where he prayed, you know, for the disciples to experience a miracle. And then they threw their nets out and brought in this enormous catch of fish that almost sunk their boat, it was so big. And, and he's laughing right along with them. It's almost like Jesus was surprised. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, there it is again, this sort of weird juxtaposition of Jesus's emotions. He's got this divine nature in him that says, I knew that if I asked the Father to do this, he'd do it. But now that I see the joy it brings and I see, you know, people's expanded view of God and, and God's nature and me as the Lord, you know. And so Jesus, Jesus, I think, has these strange and difficult emotions that are unique to the Son of God, who both appreciates and understands fully our limitations, but also appreciates and understands God's lack of limitations. And so when we weep, he weeps. When we laugh with joy, he laughs with joy. When we're surprised by God's grace, he gives the impression that he's just as surprised by God's grace, or perhaps not that he's surprised by it, but that he's delighted in our surprise. You know, when you give someone a gift that you've carefully kept secret and then you watch them open it and experience the surprise that happened to me at Christmas time. And, he, and they pulled it off. There's a great sense of satisfaction because they managed to keep me in the dark right up till the last minute. And then when I saw the gift, I was so surprised and they laughed too. They were filled with joy because their hope to create a surprise experience for me was fulfilled. So Jesus is not surprised by God's grace, but he's delighted when we are. Jesus is not grieved by the permanence of physical death, but he's grieved when we are. And so this framework will help us to have a better comprehension of what we see in Martha and Mary. And we realize really quickly that this is us. See, we're not going to get off the hook here today because we're going to have to acknowledge that we're a lot like Martha, most of us. <coughs> um, Martha met Jesus on the way to Bethany after being at home with Mary and all of those who were in the house grieving with them. Now remember from previous messages that this is what the Jewish people refer to as sitting Shiva. 
Sitting Shiva means that after someone dies, they're pretty quickly taken care of. So in Jewish tradition, when a person dies, burial comes very quickly. It doesn't take, you know, a lot of planning and preparation for the burial because that's going to happen soon. In fact, if it happens in the occasion of the Sabbath, then it's going to be done very quickly. And I honestly think they have a better way of doing this than, than modern Christians do because what we tend to do is we tend to have someone pass and then we keep them uh, until everyone is able to come conveniently to join in a celebration of their life and then to, to kind of gaze at the dead one more time before we lay them to rest. And, and then everybody goes and the family goes back home to this house that is now incomplete, to this life that is now forever incomplete. Well, in Jewish tradition, the matter of dealing with the remains of the dead is something that happens very quickly and then people come all week long after to sit Shiva with you or to just be in your company while you grieve. Like Job's friends did when he sat and grieved, for example. So this is what's going on. They're grieving because their brother has died and all the family and even friends from Jerusalem have come out to sit with them. And Martha leaves the gathering, goes out to meet Jesus and says to him, Jesus, I'm glad you're here, but if you'd been here sooner, he wouldn't have died. It sounds a little bit like an accusation, but I think it's more of, a, of a, an admission of, of weakness. You know, she's, she's just saying, it's almost like she heard what Jesus said. I, did you hear me chuckle when I was reading that one passage? Because I, I don't think it's funny, but it's surprising. When Jesus says, when, when it says in uh, uh, verse 7, I think it is, where Jesus says, or no, on verse 4, Jesus says, uh, it says, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so he waited a little longer. <laughs> I mean, think about that for a minute. He, it's talking about how they rushed someone to him to tell him, you need to get here now because if you get here before he dies, he won't die. And he loved them so much that he waited longer. Now that's a contradiction, isn't it? He loved them so much that he delayed his response to the answer, to, with an answer to their prayer. And so then Martha says, you know, if you'd have been here before he died, he wouldn't have died. And then she says, but I know you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're on your way to becoming everything that you're supposed to be. So what she's doing at this moment is she's, she's beginning to sort of hedge her bets or she's, she's protecting herself from an emotional outburst by quoting, you know, a creed. Like she's, she's saying, I learned in Sunday school that when the Messiah comes, these are the things we could expect. And I see you gradually fulfilling all of these expectations. So I'm convinced that you're probably the one we've been looking for. And then Jesus says, great, then you understand that Lazarus is going to rise again. And she says, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because in the same Sunday school class, I learned that the dead will be raised one day in resurrection. And Jesus must have smiled and said, well... 
That's a very good expression of what you learned in Sunday school class, but that isn't who I am. That's what you think I am and what you think I'm supposed to be. And at this moment, you realize that Martha isn't that different from the people who were gravely disappointed with Jesus because he wasn't the kind of Messiah they thought he should be. See, we, we learned in Sunday school class, didn't we, that Jesus is somebody who people misunderstood because he wasn't this zealous uh, leader of a, a militant group that was going to take back Jerusalem for the people of God. And they were disappointed that he wasn't all of that. But here we have Martha, whom he loved, whose house was his favorite place to stay. He said he never had a place to rest his head, but he did rest in Martha's house when he stayed there. And to her, he has to say, I'm afraid you don't understand how this is going to work. And then, even though it doesn't say it, it's pretty obvious that he requested Mary's presence. He said, hey, why isn't Mary here? And so Martha sends, uh, she sends for Mary. She says, hey, the master wants to see you. Mary comes, and, you know, by this time, you realize that Martha's the practical, tactical one, and Mary is just sort of the emotional one. And so what does Mary do? Well, she just falls at his feet and weeps. You know, kind of like she did when she anointed his feet. We're going to talk about that next week. And, and so she's having this purely emotional response. And all she can say is, this, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And at this point, Jesus says, all right, take me to the tomb. Let, let's get this done. It's time you see how this is supposed to go. And so with that, they go to the tomb. And as you heard through the scriptures, he speaks and Lazarus is restored to life. This is not resurrection, by the way. This is more, you know, of a different type of miracle. He's, he's still, Lazarus still will experience resurrection one day, but he is, he is reanimated. He is restored. He is, you know, brought back to life. Though he was in the grave long enough to begin to decompose. As gross as that is, we have to deal with it. That's why it's there. There's a Jewish tradition from those days that isn't in scripture, but it's known that in those days, people thought that the bodies, uh, that the, the spirits of the dead would stay in close proximity to the body for a minimum of three days or maximum of three days, I should say, that, that they would hang around for about three days um, in the hopes that perhaps they could re-enter the body because of some miraculous healing or something. And so, so whether that's really relevant or not, what we do have is a very unusual incident where the theme is not three days of darkness followed by new life, but four days. So all over scripture, you see, you know, like Jonah was in the whale three days. Jesus was in the tomb three days. And so there are numerous references to this sort of three days down and back up again cycle. But in this case, it's unusual because it's four days. And what we're meant to understand is, is Lazarus was as dead as dead gets. He was as dead as you can be because there wouldn't have been anything to restore by this point because so much had already occurred in the course of corruption. But he is back. So the first thing we need to take away from the message today is that he that the Lord does things in the Lord's own time and that we need to understand that Jesus is not going to be what we expect. 
that we're not that different from Martha because we all have this Sunday school idea of what Jesus is and how Jesus is supposed to be. Whether we like it or not, we have confined Jesus to a box. We've, we've created an image in our mind of Jesus and it informs every prayer. It informs every conversation we have with the Lord. And so we're apt to get it wrong when we pray. We are, after all, talking to a being who in divine nature is wholly apart from what he created. Jesus is co-creator as the son of God and he is entirely apart from what is created. He is not one of the created things. He is the creator. And this means that he is not confined like us to space and time and all of those limitations that have come into existence due to sin. And yet, for our sake, he has left the holy other existence in order to embrace what it's like to be us. He stepped out of eternity and into time, became flesh and blood like us, and experiences all the limitations we experience because we live inside space and time and in a sin-afflicted space and time at that. But he's calling us to understanding our nature outside of all of it anyway. He's calling us back to Eden. And so what kind of limitations are you placing on Jesus? How are you confining Jesus to a storybook or creedal understanding that you have? What is it about your doctrines that override who Jesus really is. Martha had faith in her doctrine and she professed that faith to Jesus because she'd seen him ticking off enough of the boxes alongside her doctrine to believe that he was intended to fulfill all of those things. Look at the Apostles' Creed. Look at, look at your denominational doctrinal standards and so forth. You know, we like Martha, have a bad habit of trying to expect Jesus to fulfill our expectations. Now, the next thing we need to understand is, is that if you, if you can let go of that need to make Jesus conform to your expectations, then the next thing you're going to have to contend with is his apparent lack of consideration for your needs. <laughs> you know, once you realize that Jesus is not coming when you think he should come, once you realize that you're not going to get what you want from Jesus, then you've given Jesus the freedom to be your Lord as well as your Savior. And that means that you may face death when you thought that he'd save you for a little bit longer, that you may experience the death of a loved one when you thought that he would stop it from happening. You know, in my experience in 25 years of ministry, I've never really seen anybody's prayers 
miraculously turn a situation around. Now, some are going to say, well, that's because you don't have enough faith, but that would also be you trying to legalistically hold me to a particular doctrinal standard. All I can tell you is that in complete and utter faith, I asked God to do things that God simply didn't do. And so the next and the most important point today, and this is what I'll close with, is are you willing to trust the Lord as your Savior? Are you willing to trust the Lord's plan if nothing ever goes the way you think it should go? This really hit me hard, I don't know how many years ago. How old are you, Nathan? 26. I tried to make you 27 in the first service, sorry. 26 years ago, we thought we were having the fourth of many storybook, textbook, typical pregnancies and births. And then in a matter of seconds, it all changed because there was a major birth defect on the baby. And in the matter of minutes, everything we thought was going to happen wasn't going to happen anymore. And a whole lot of things we could not comprehend lay ahead of us. And I remember, and this is not, this story is not told to, so that you can think any more of me. This is a story about how I understood what I'm trying to share with you today, what Martha had to figure out. I'm driving across the bridge over the Ohio River from Jeffersonville, Indiana to Louisville, Kentucky to the Children's Hospital. My wife, who's just had a baby with a birth defect, is in the hospital being cared for as a, as a mother who's just given birth. And I'm following an ambulance that has my little infant newborn son in it over to the hospital. It's dark, it's rainy, windshield wipers are going, uh, it's cold. And, and I remember praying as all like, like it was the most important prayer of my life. And the thing I said that I'll never forget, and it's not about me, was, Lord, whatever happens, you're still my savior. You're still my king. That never changes. And I understood in that moment that, that it doesn't matter how this turns out, God is still God. And God doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe me anything. I could pray about, I, listen, I've prayed, I don't know how many times that Ruthie and Nathan could have their bodies restored. I have no doubt that if Jesus could physically, you know, will it like he did when he walked the earth, that it would just be one of those things that you would never forget because all of a sudden these atrophied limbs would just restore to the proper way that they should be. That, that innards that have been rearranged and changed so many times in surgeries over hours and hours and months and weeks and years of surgery. Surgeries and, and, and all of this that Jesus could just with the spoken word, Lord, I heard, I know you heard me. And then my kids would be mag magnificently, majestically healed. I've even offered God my own legs. Unknowing that this isn't God's way of doing things, but just saying, I mean, if that's what it takes, Lord, right? And, and the answer I always get is, is thanks for the faith. Just keep doing what you're doing. And so because he loved them, he waited. Because he loved them, he waited. Are you willing to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
Most of us are comfortable with him as our savior because having a savior is a good thing. But when we ask him to be our Lord, it means that we'll accept the unanswered prayers. We'll accept the hardships. We'll accept the suffering. We'll accept the death. Many a saint has been persecuted all the way through to death for a commitment to Christ that they could not give up even when Christ let them die on their own cross or burn at their own stake. Faith in Christ says, I don't get to choose how you respond to me. I can only choose how I respond to you. And I choose faith. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word now. Burn it upon our hearts and help us to have faith in you. That doesn't place any limitations on you. That is sufficient to cause us to just let you be who you are. And let us see ourselves as eternal beings because of your grace. Who will see and understand even after death in your own good time. And we love you anyway, and we obey you anyway, and we trust you anyway, because we cannot help it, Lord. Amen. Amen.